Good morning and happy Sunday. Thank you for joining us here today. Would you please join us and sing and rise and stand? Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. But looks. of our praise as the creator and the sustainer as the author and perfecter of our faith he is worthy of our praise but I think we also do it because God knows it's good for us God knows it's good for us to connect with each other in a way that's transforming because that's what we care about here at First Pres. we pray that lives will be transformed when we connect with God and with each other when I was in college, I had a pastor say four words that really changed the way I looked at God. And that was, God is at work. Those four words changed the way that I viewed God because I realized that God is at work in the big ways, making the cosmos work, making the earth turn around, making the sunrise in the morning. We trust him to do that. And yet at the same time, God is at work in the infinitely small details of our life. God is at work in you and in me and in us collectively, and that is something that we can trust and celebrate together on Sunday mornings. If you are new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Maybe today you would take that first step in filling out a Connect card. You can access it by scanning the QR code. You can find it on our website. We would love to connect with you and get to serve you and know you better. Would you please pray with me this morning? God, thank you. Thank you that you are at work. You are at work in the big ways, but you're also at work in the small ways. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust that. That, God, you are at work behind the scenes to get us here this morning. You are behind the scenes to get our kids here this morning. God, you were behind the scenes to get us to turn on our computer and worship online this morning. Thank you, God, that you are at work. Lord, we have people who we need to trust you with that. We need to trust that you are at work in their lives because they are struggling. Lord, I look at these ribbons around um, this stand up here, pink and blue, that always remind us of Jackie Faircloth. And so thank you, Lord, that you are at work within Jackie's life and we trust you to her. Lord, we also pray that you are at work in Jamie Atkinson's life and Hank Floyd and Jerry Denny and Jim Canale, that you would continue to bring them healing that, God, you would continue to be at work in their life. Lord, for Larissa Garcia, Larissa Garcia, who's undergoing a second surgery this morning on her neck, Lord, we just pray that you would bring her relief and comfort to her pain. For Karen Henderson's mother, Lord, who is healing from heart issues, God, I pray that you would just surround Karen and her mom and her family, Lord. For Carol Dollar and her family and the loss of her aunt who passed away, and for Carol's cousin Patricia who's in congestive heart failure, where we trust that you are at work in their lives. 
And then finally, God, we just continue to pray for the Barber family mm. and the death of Ralph. Lord, I pray, God, that um, in this moment uh, for that family, Jesus, as they continue to just mourn him, that, um, God, you would help them to just take the next, the next best step of trust in you, Jesus. Lord, for this next few minutes, hour, Lord, we just give you our hearts, we give you our lives, and we just thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, friends. Come on now. Loosen up. So three things real quickly. Online folks, we're having communion here this morning, so now's the time for you. After I give you these other two really important things, now then get up and run and get your stuff. Coffee, a biscuit, whatever, yogurt, whatever, just something for communion. And so that, everybody do that. Now I want to... Two announcement announcements. The first is called Real, and I'm looking at all the men in the room, and I'm looking at all you men who are online, and here's the deal. This Thursday night, women are gathering for Real. There's a speaker coming. There's about 180 women signed up. we got room for several more. You can still sign up. Go to the website. Gentlemen, here's the word. Don't bring this in here telling me you can't ca carry the load on Thursday night for a couple hours. That's, that's lame. <laughs> push, push your woman out the door. This is going to be good for her, and you want this for her, and I'm serious. Don't come in here saying you can't handle it, because you can. So that's that. The last thing I wanted to do is tell you that we're on the way to launching a campaign, a public launch of a campaign to build out the new property that we have going up over on Horatio. Welcome right now, however, I want you to see a video that McLean has taken, and she narrates it beautifully, a quick video of what's going on over there on the part that's being renovated. Welcome to the future home of First Pres Tampa. We have two parking lots available on campus. Construction is well underway on the interim portion of the property. Most will enter in through the north entrance and head down the hallway to our interim sanctuary space. Drywall has already been completed in this area. Families with children birth through fifth grade will enter in the south entrance. There they will be greeted and they can check in their child. Children birth through pre-K four will go to their respective classrooms on either side of the hallway. Kindergarten through fifth grade will walk through the hallway and find their own worship space. Drywall has been completed in this room as well. Families with teenagers will enter in the main north entrance. There are two student ministry rooms currently being worked on adjacent to the cruise sanctuary space.
We can't wait to welcome you home. Beautifully, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what your new job is going to be, but it's got something to do with that. So... <laughs> 6,700 square feet of space that's there now, we're renovating. That will, after we use it for interim worship, that will revert to being only for children birth through fifth grade. That, what's happening next is, get that ready for us to move over there. We think the end of this month or early in November, we move in and interim worship. Then about 19,000 square feet brand new. That's what's happening. So that's just warming you up. We're going to start talking about all this explicitly next Sunday morning. If you have questions, don't hesitate to call me, and I'll make sure I get the right answer for you and get you in front of the right person. So how's that? Is that good? We're excited about it. It's unbelievable what's going on. And it's like massive provision happening by God to make all this happen. The last thing I want to do is just say to you, well done. We always invite you to give to the church and so it can operate in those five ways that we do that are up on the board right now. You have been faithful. You are faithful. You're generous. And I believe that God wants us here. God wants this church to continue to be doing what it's doing. And every indication is that's what's happening because of your generosity. Here are ways that you can continue to help make this unbelievable thing happen and where we help people that don't know they're loved. Don't know they're forgiven. We help them learn it and know it. And as McLean's already said, we get to gather together in so many ways to connect not just with each other but with God. That's, and now what I want to do is invite you to stand. Adam normally does it, but I'm trumping him. I want you to stand, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to realize that this song we're going to sing, go ahead, stand up. We're going to start singing. It's called Run to the Father. And this is about Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. It's a story you've heard, the prodigal son. I want you to let your heart soften to how much God loves you. And you can't be too big of a mess to be loved by God. God loves us. And God's heart runs to us even as we run to God. Sing this song with everything you have and let God's love be what kind of blankets you as you sing it.
saw my condition had a plan from the start your son for redemption the price for my heart I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend all I So you can tell we've been celebrating around here. I'm not wearing this shirt for nothing. 
I know the Gronk can't play. I, I'm all things eternally optimistic. I'll just put it that way. But I love it that so many of you wore shirts. And notice Adam. You see what he's wearing? Did you catch that? That red is not for the bucks. It's a Patriots shirt. And he stands alone. Alone but proud. I love it. I just want to know something. When was the last time that you laughed so loud, you didn't care how loud you were, you danced like a fool, you didn't care what people thought of you or how you looked? Can you remember a time when you did that? You can? Well, I just, I just want to tell you that I watched Norman Giovenko do that with perfection. And Norman is here. Raise your hand, Norman, just so people don't miss the fact that you're... I got his permission to talk about him, by the way. But um, I might have done it anyway. But I watched him do this with perfection a couple of weeks ago when we celebrated his wife Angie's niece, Brittany, her wedding. And at the reception, I want you to know that Norman very skillfully at this beautifully, beautifully appointed table, took his cell phone out immediately and propped it up on this very gorgeous, elegant glass centerpiece so that he could watch the gators, cheer them on like loudly, not even quietly, loudly, and then turn and cheer on the new couple doing their first dance. I saw it all go down. They thought that he was hooting and hollering for them, au contraire. And then somehow, in the middle of all that, between plays, Norman pops up and gives this heartfelt speech for his goddaughter. It came off like he had been sitting there praying about it before he got up there. I mean, he had tears. And I'm sitting there going, he just screamed at Alabama and walked up there and is all things God and Jesus. Now, what I want you to know is as I'm describing all of this, Norman is all things celebration, obviously, but it has nothing to do with alcohol. Not at all. I, I'm here to tell you that. He is all things celebration. And then in the middle of pulling all this off, I'm just watching in awe because he's giving his mother-in-law a run for her money as she's ordering change-up orders on a plated, single-plated meal that everyone had. But somehow she was wanting change-ups, and he's egging her on. And the wait staff are doing this. He's cheering on the bucks. He's hooting and hollering. And then manages to simultaneously totally horrify and embarrass Angie by starting the conga line with the wedding party. <laughs> I mean, Norman was all things joy. You really were. And Norman's joy, his playfulness was so contagious that I just thought, this is inspiring. I mean, he really knows how to celebrate. The boy knows how to party. There's no doubt about it. He does. Well, I want you to see a security guard at the TROP who also knows how to celebrate. And this was at a game with, for the Rays, obviously, just a few months ago, you have to see this. Uninhibited celebration.
to watch it again. But uh, I sure hope this dude does this today at the Rays' last game of the season. I hope he does. I'm going to be watching for him. Well, now me, okay? There's a picture of some heels that I was wearing. We'll bring that. Yep, those are my heels. It's time for my celebration. So about a month ago, I had the privilege of doing a wedding in San Francisco at a cathedral standing next to a priest. So obviously, I was wearing a very dignified black minister's gown. But when it came time for the reception, I cast down that gown, I kicked off my heels, and I jumped on the dance floor. Well, unbeknownst to me, a friend of mine took this picture after taking the place card from my plated meal that read in hand-done calligraphy, very formal, the Reverend Catherine Connor. And she thought it would be funny to put that right next to my kicked-off heels. And I found out later, after she posted it, that the San Francisco guests who don't know me were like, wait, what? Is that... The minister that was next to the priest in the cathedral? You betcha it was. Absolutely. Barefoot and all. Having a ball. Well, you know, I, I just can't help but think about the way that people experienced Jesus. No wonder. No wonder when they experienced his playfulness and his hopefulness and his humanity that they were a little thrown off, even, even surprised by it. And, and maybe you are too. But I want to remind you that Jesus entered the world on a high note of joy. Because at his birth, the angel declared, I bring you good news with great joy. And then scripture tells us that when Jesus started his ministry, he declared jubilee. Now, jubilee, I love that word. It means celebration, right? Jubilee was celebrated in the Old Testament once every seven years. And jubilee was the moment where they let the ground lay feral. So they didn't till the land. They let it alone on this seventh year to rest. It was a year when prisoners would be set free when all debts were canceled, no matter who you were, and God's blessings just poured down on the people. Everything was shared in bounty every seven years in Jubilee. In essence, Jesus was saying, in me, you have Jubilee every day. You celebrate Jubilee every day in forgiveness, in being set free from the slavery of sin, in being rejuvenated and refreshed, really living life every day with me. Well, a big part of our spiritual journey, our relationship with Jesus, is about celebration, about partying, yes, about being together. And we don't celebrate enough in community as the body of Christ. We just don't celebrate enough. And the truth is, the kicker is, that we can't experience real life without it. We can't. 
In every town that Jesus visited, he was creating communities of people that were learning how to live in a totally new way. A totally new way. Where greediness was being transformed into generosity. Where anger was being transformed into forgiveness. Where people who were on the outside were being included in. And the playfulness and the hopefulness of Jesus just drew people to him. In fact, celebrations were breaking out everywhere around dinner tables made up of the marginalized people that Jesus healed, including sex workers, tax collectors, and all kinds of people that people kept at a distance. Well, the religious leaders of Israel were watching all of this with disdain. And they started to criticize Jesus and say, if this man is really God's prophet, then why is he welcoming sinners and eating with them? Because you see, Jesus was throwing these dinner parties. And at these dinner parties, he was using them to make the case, to demonstrate that God's kingdom is here to rescue sinners. And he was inviting people that no one celebrated. He was also invited to banquets of these religious leaders. And he told them straight up, looked them in the eye, and said, you are becoming an arrogant, exclusive social club. Well, I pray that that can never be said of us at First Pres, ever. And so they didn't get it. I mean, it went right over their heads. So Jesus tells them three stories in which all three stories end with a party, all three. Now, these stories are called parables, which is a made-up story to make a point. Did you catch that? It's a made-up story, make-believe story, in order to make a point. Well, Jesus is really, really good at telling these stories. And right about the time when you think that he is talking to somebody else, you quickly realize, you quickly discover that he's making a point directed and aimed right at you, right at me. So he tells these three stories that we find in Luke 15 in order to explain to these religious critics why he chooses to hang out with non-church people, people that wouldn't want to go anywhere near anything about God why he hangs out with people with a bad reputation, and why he hangs out with people that people talk about. So in that third story, Jesus, the storyteller, says, well, a man had two sons. And so everybody's already leaning in because Jesus is such a compelling storyteller. He's so fun to listen to. So this man had two sons. 
And the younger son said, Dad, I want my inheritance early. So he gets his inheritance, cashes it in to travel far away and wastes it all on parties, alcohol, women, and just being plain stupid. Well, eventually there is a famine in the land and he runs out of money. So to scrape by, he starts helping take care of somebody's pigs, right? Well, I want you to know we have someone in here that takes care of a pig. Chip and Lowell Lomel have a pet pig. And they live on Richard, Richardson Place. So they know what this story means when we're talking about slopping pigs. Because they slop a pig. We don't slop. You don't slop. Okay. <laughs> but this... <laughs> but this... Oh, pig food. Oh, my. Mini pig food. Well, that's not what we're dealing with here, let me assure you. It's a muddy, sloppy pit, and this guy gets so hungry that he decides, I, I think I actually want to eat this pig slop. It's horrible. It's gross. But finally, he comes to his senses and realizes, I just want to go home. I want to ask my dad for employment. Now, he knows he can't be his son again, because what he has done is tantamount to forfeiting his identity as the man's son. He just wants a job. Three hots and a cot. That's what he wants. So he starts rehearsing this pathetic speech and travels home. And we pick it up now in Luke chapter 15. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now here's the part where he starts rehearsing his pathetic speech. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What I want you to notice now, friends, is that the father is going to totally ignore this speech. Because remember, Jesus is telling this story to explain God the father's love. He ignores the speech. It says, when you hear the word but, that negates everything that came before it. But the father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Translation, we're going to have a party and we're going to have a party right now. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now... He is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music, dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was hot fire angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But the older son replied, all these years 
I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one goat for a feast with my friends? Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now he is found. I want you to wrap your mind around this ridiculous, illogical scene that Jesus gives us to explain who he is and how he responds to you and to me. Think about it for a minute. The younger son comes home, that boy comes home after wildly blowing all of his father's hard-earned money and living like a wild man to within minutes, if not an hour or so, we find him on the dance floor dancing with his pals at a party hosted by his father. Now, truly, you're thinking with me that the older son is the only one who is thinking logically right now. And he's saying... This party makes no sense whatsoever. His younger brother, who had been acting like an idiot, is now on the dance floor surrounded by friends while the DJ plays his favorite song. It doesn't add up. But I want you to consider how quickly the father insisted that the younger son get on that dance floor and start celebrating. I want you to think about that for a minute, how quickly he insisted that he begin to celebrate because when you and I sin, when we make ourselves distant from God, when we turn our backs on him or benignly ignore him or full-on go AWOL from him or could care less about him and what he thinks, when we do that, when we sin, the best place for you and me, the most powerful place for you and me when we sin is immediately enjoying the Father's love. Immediately. Right after we sin. Not that there's this waiting period. Not that there's this, well, once you get your act together, then we'll talk, period. No. No. It's immediate immediately enjoying the Father's love. We can't imagine that. And don't even try to make sense out of grace or the celebration of grace. For sure, like the older son, it is not hard to hyper-focus on logic and completely miss grace. It's not hard to do that, is it? You know, this older son, he comes in from the field, but he doesn't go into the house where the party is. He isn't enjoying his work, and he certainly isn't enjoying his play. 
He can't come in from the field and he can't go into the house that he loves. He is unsettled. He is disturbed. He is angry. And he has bought the lie that whatever I do, it just isn't good enough. Can you relate to that? I know I can sometimes. Absolutely. And last week, when Fitz was preaching, he gave us this handout. This is my copy from last week. It's a handout of lies that we tell ourselves. And I went home and looked this over and highlighted three or four of them that are true for me, lies that I tend to believe. And the lie that sticks out to me the most is the lie of the older son. That whatever I do, it isn't good enough. And I will tell you, and you know this about me, I love Jesus and I enjoy my relationship with him. But I must say that in the middle of the summer somewhere in July, I found myself in this really hard place where I just struggled really believing that whatever I did, it was not good enough. No one said this to me, but I certainly was saying this to myself over and over again. And as a result, I was struggling. I was really hurting. I, I just felt like I was struggling to enjoy everyday life. I was struggling to play. I was struggling to rest. I couldn't even enjoy my super fun husband. I thought, what is going on with me? was hard. But then I remembered that I have a heavenly father that runs after me and comes to find me. And he comes after the unsettled one. He runs after them. He's not sitting around waiting, hoping we'll show up. He's seeking us out, running toward us. And he's relentless in his pursuit. And he seeks us out and he says, and I felt it, come on, come hang out with me. I'm going to show you how to experience real life again. We're going to do this together, even celebrate together. I wonder if that's why Jesus said the same thing twice in this story. Did you notice that? Because in scripture, anytime anything is repeated, it's on purpose for emphasis. And in this case, it's verse 24 and verse 32. And he's looking at these religious critics, remember? And he's saying to them, your brother who was dead, dude, is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He can tell they're, they're not hearing it. They're not getting it. Your brother who was dead, is now alive again. And he was lost. And now he's found. But we know in the story that the older brother pushes back and says, but dad, what about what that idiot did with your money? And in essence, the father is saying back to the older son, son, oh, you thought this party was about performance? You thought this party was about your brother's performance? Of course not. All of that has been forgiven. 
This party isn't about performance. It's about his position as my son, my relationship with him. And it's about your position as my son and my relationship with you. This party's for you as much as it is for him. You're both lost. You both don't get it. And we know that the older son would have none of it. And as long as he's stuck in performance mentality, this party will never make sense to him. And so Jesus wants to set us free to live like the sons and daughters of a heavenly father who runs after us when we're lost, who comes outside to find us even when we don't want to be found. And the two sons may represent our stories, but they don't tell us much about our futures. They reveal what we were, but not what we're to become. So you and I need to get much better at accepting invitations to God's parties because God breaks out in a celebration every time we turn to him and return to him. And then it's not over. Then we're invited to begin acting like the Father and get really good at throwing parties, pursuing people, inviting them and loving them the way Jesus did, especially those that no one celebrated. And so what I want you to do sometime in the next few weeks is the next time you have a cookout or invite people over to watch a game or do something fun or just hang out, I want you to invite someone that you would normally not include. And if you can't think of anybody, you're not off the hook. Because then if you can't think of anybody, I want you to go to your heavenly Father and say, Father, who is it? Who do you want me to include that I probably normally wouldn't have? Who's that person? That's what I want you to do. This morning, we have the privilege of going to the Lord's table. And I want you to know that the first time I'm going to move this because I'm blocking half of you. Ooh. The first time that Jesus celebrated this meal with his followers, with his closest friends, the disciples, did you know that they were in the middle of a huge celebration called Passover? Yeah. This was a big event in Jerusalem, and every time Passover happened, people came from all over the Holy Land to Jerusalem, and there were parties and dancing and hooting and hollering, Norman Giovenco style, and all that was going on. And so that night, it was just like every year, except Jesus said, 
Passover, which is a celebration of when God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, we're not going to add a twist. Tonight, we're going to celebrate that I am going to give my life for you so that you can be set free from the slavery of sin. And so he took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And they're all going, what? They'd never seen a Passover like this. The celebration doesn't go like this. He said, my body's going to be broken for you. And every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember what I did for you. And then he took the cup after supper. And this, he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new relationship that I have with you in the spilling of my blood. And every time you drink it, I want you to remember what I did for you. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And I'm delighted that you all are coming in to participate. Come on in. And so now I want to invite you to lift up the cup. On the bottom side, you'll see, is the wafer. If you'd open the tab with the wafer, pull out the tiny piece of cracker, and as you eat it, I want you to remember that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Now you can celebrate that you were dead, but you are now alive. And now take off the tab on the juice side. And Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you because now you can celebrate that you were lost. But now in me, you are found. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, we want to be found by you. And when we're lost, thank you for the reminder that you are a loving Father who searches for us even when we don't know that we're lost even when we don't know that we've wandered away, Lord, and even when we do blatantly, you just come and find us. And you don't walk there. You run to us, Father. You run to us, and you embrace us, and you say, let's get on the dance floor and celebrate right now because you have returned to me, and you have turned to me, and you are my son. You are my daughter. Thank you, Jesus that we can leave this place counting on you, even when we can't count on ourselves, knowing that only you can set us free and that you've declared jubilee today and every day and every minute of every day that we can find freedom and forgiveness and rejuvenation and refreshment and real life in you and you alone. Lord, we're in awe of the fact that you celebrate us so quickly. 
and we are so hard on ourselves and we want to prove ourselves and we want to perform and get it right. And that's not what matters to you. What matters to you is that we are yours and you are ours. In your name we pray with so much more joy in our hearts than we could imagine. Amen. And now I want to invite you to stand and sing this song. Sing it to the Lord as your response to the fact that he's running after you. Too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. The sun. 